are continuing our conversation with Jason Meredith, who is the lead planning attorney for Thompson & Associates. Uh, Jason is board certified in the state of Texas by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization in the areas of estate planning and probate. And uh, we are talking to Jason about estate planning and uh, some specific as aspects of estate planning. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, documents that uh, someone would get drafted in a, the estate planning process. So, Jason, welcome. Thank you, Casey. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Uh, earlier, in an earlier podcast, we talked generally about estate planning and, and um, why we need estate planning and what are some reasons that people don't do estate planning. Uh, I'd like to, to uh, talk now about, so someone goes through the estate planning process, what documents should they expect to come out of that process? Okay, so there's there's um, there's a number of different documents that that are are usually put in place. Uh, one of the ones we'll start with are some of the power of powers of attorney. Now, most clients, when they begin the estate planning process, what they're thinking about is they're thinking about what you know if, if they pass away, what documents need to be in place upon death. And we're going to get to those here in just a few minutes. But one of the first things we like to start off with is, is educating clients on what would happen if, if, if you became incapacitated, if you were unable, for some reason, to make a financial or medical decision for yourself, who makes those decisions and who does those things for you? Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, a really, it's a really important area to, to, to discuss. Incapacity can come in a number of different ways. Um, it could be something like, you know, the client was in a in a in a, in a car accident and they are in a you know in a coma or something like that in the in the hospital. Um, it could be that it could be you know things like Alzheimer's or dementia or any number of things. But if for some reason the client could not make these decisions, we like to have documents in place where they name another person or persons to make these decisions for them. So the first document is called a durable power of attorney. I like to think of this as a financial power of attorney. Essentially, the client is naming an agent or a person to make financial decisions. Uh, this person could pay their bills, make financial decisions, take care of all their personal uh, you know, business, um, and, and, um, and do that for them so that those things are being maintained during times of incapacity. And the second one is, is called a medical power of attorney. Sometimes you'll hear it called a health care power of attorney. But it's the same concept. If you were unable to make a health care or a medical decision for yourself uh, because you were incapacitated, you name an agent or a person to do that for you. And so those are the, some of the first things that we, we really like clients to have. And that really has nothing to do with, with death. Um, moving on to the, you know, what happens upon death, uh, at a minimum, we generally like our clients to have a, a last will and testament. I think most people are familiar with a will. Um, wills are, are just are really pretty straightforward. They're documents that say that, you know, upon your death, who is to inherit your assets, who is to be the executor of the estate in charge of, of wrapping up your final affairs. That's what a will does. Um, there, there are quite a few other documents that, that we can add to an estate plan. Um, uh, one of the common ones is called a revocable living trust. Um, the revocable living trust is, is 
acts almost as a will substitute. It's a way for a client to uh, avoid probate. Uh, it makes the administration of an estate uh, much more simple if, if, the, if the trust is set up and funded correctly. So um, those are, I think, the will and the trust are the primary documents. And as we spoke about on our last podcast, um, the, we always have to keep in mind that uh, beneficiary designations. Well, you know, generally, we have clients have financial assets like life insurance and retirement accounts that are controlled by beneficiary designations. So those beneficiary designations are act very much like a will. They determine who's going to inherit those those assets, and so that is an integral part of the estate planning documents, you know, that need to be put in place. Okay, good. So it sounds like you know the, the like you started out with while, while someone's still alive, and you know it's it we we think of it in the estate planning process, but we still need powers of attorneys that. Uh, it's, it's much more likely that we're going to become incapacitated. Well, I don't know, much more likely, but uh, in, in, in need of a power of attorney uh, to, to make financial or health care decisions for us. Uh, and then you know, once we pass away, then we'll need other you know, end-of-life documents like a will or perhaps a power of attorney. Uh, so there's, there's you know, several documents there. So, so here, here's the – in the last podcast, we talked about some of the uh, – reasons people don't do estate planning, and one of them that you mentioned was cost. So what would someone expect to uh, pay for to, to get these documents drafted? Right. Now, the approximate cost is, is definitely something that can vary, and it can vary on a number of different factors. Um, the cost can vary depending on who the client hires to prepare the estate plan. Um, what you'll generally find is uh, attorneys. Attorneys are are the the individuals that are licensed to prepare estate planning documents. So CPAs and financial advisors are actually not licensed to draft these type of documents. So you, so you have to use an attorney. Um, now, what you'll find with attorneys is some attorneys you'll find are more general practitioners, um, the kind of attorney that really does everything that wa that comes into the door. A general practitioner will handle things like, you know, divorces and adoptions and family law. They'll handle speeding tickets. They'll handle um, uh, criminal matters. They'll handle wills. They, they do all of these things. And they're not really a specialist in any one area. And so what you'll generally find is that the, that, that general type of practitioner, their fees are not going to be as high as um, – as an attorney who maybe specializes in a certain area. Uh, if you work with an attorney who's maybe board certified in a certain uh, you know, estate planning or someone that's a specialist in that area, their fees are going to be more uh, than the general practitioner. But at the same time, you're also getting a, a much higher level of expertise when you go to someone like that. So you know, it's, very much, it's very much like, uh, I always kind of liken it to the medical profession. You know, if you're sick, you have options. You can go to the the urgent rapid care, urgent care down the street, uh, or you can go to a specialist. Um, and which one is better? I, I don't necessarily ne think that you can say one is necessarily better than the other, but it depends on you know what your illness is. Um, you know, if you've got um, if you've got cancer, 
you're probably not going to go to the urgent care down the street for, for care. You're going to go to a specialist that's a cancer physician. So, um, it, what, so what you'll find is specialists are going to charge more. You're also going to find differences in geographical locations. Uh, attorneys in larger metropolitan areas are going to charge more generally than, you get, than attorneys in smaller uh, rural communities. Um, so, so it is very difficult to say estate plans cost this much money. I can give a range. Uh, I think that most simple uh, estate plans can range anywhere from maybe $500 to $1,500. Uh, more complex estate plans could range anywhere from $1,000 to, you know, four or $5,000. It, it's rare. I live in Dallas. Uh, Dallas is, a, is obviously a larger metropolitan area. Um, and in Dallas, estate planning fees for a husband and wife really, they rarely exceed um, for $4,000 or $4,500. That would be for a very complicated estate plan. Um, so that kind of gives you maybe gives you an idea of what, what an estate plan might cost. Okay, so is it, would it be appropriate uh, if someone is, is shopping around for an attorney, it, it, for them to actually call and ask what would be the appro approximate cost of an estate plan, would, would attorneys be upset at that, or, or is that an appropriate question? Well, I think that that's a wonderful question. I think that I think an attorney that is uh, worth their salt, an attorney that, that is a really good attorney, um, will, which would not be offended by that at all and should be ready to justify the fees that they want to charge the client. And they should also be able to uh, distinguish their fees from that of their competitors. And if they can't do those things, then I would question whether they really are the best attorney for the client. Um, I think a really good attorney, if you call an attorney, they, they ought to be able to tell you. They're not going to be able to tell you exactly over the phone what the fee will be, because the fee is always going to be based on what the client needs. Attorneys really do, and a lot of people don't believe this, but attorneys really do tailor estate plans for the client and their family. So until the, the attorney has really had the opportunity to sit down with the client, understand what their needs are, understand what their goals are, and really know what the plan is going to look like, the attorney doesn't know what it's going to actually going to cost until they have that first meeting. But uh, the attorney should be able to give the client a range on what those fees would probably be. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And and the I know one of you mentioned a competitor. You're differentiating the cost from a competitor. One competitor, honestly, is the internet. And and uh, you know, get your own will dot com or whatever. And so you know, is that is that a viable alternative? And and can you speak to the difference of just going to the internet and getting a will and going to an attorney who knows what they're you know, or you know, is experienced in that and um, can help someone through that process. Uh, definitely can, and, and you're right. Um, you know, thing, legal sites like LegalZoom.com, things like that are uh, are definitely um, options. Um, they are not good options. Uh, I, I've I've been practicing law for 15 years. I've seen a lot of a lot of wills. I've seen really good ones. I've seen really bad ones. I've seen a lot done on the, the internet websites. And um, to be honest, every plan I've seen come through, come off the internet, has not been 
it has been a problem. There's been a problem. When you go to an internet website, you have to remember all you're doing is paying for a document. You're not paying for advice. You're not paying for advice. You're just getting just getting a document. So um, it's kind of like it's kind of like this. If you were really sick, are you are you going to go to the to a physician, or are you going to go to the internet to WebMD, and are you going to to diagnose your your problem? Well, when I'm really sick, I'm going to the doctor because I want someone who really knows what's going on and give me medicine and get me better. WebMD is it's a great resource. There's a lot of good information out there. But if I'm really sick, WebMD is not really going to do anything for me. It, it might, if I'm lucky, I might figure out what I've got, but it's not really going to solve my problem. So when you go to a, a, a place like that, an internet site, you're just getting a document. The other problem with the internet sites is, and it's interesting, I don't want to make our podcast any longer than we need to, but I actually got on uh, LegalZoom.com myself and opened up my own account because I was curious what would happen, what kind of questions did they ask me. And LegalZoom.com asked me things like, do I want to create a trust for my child? Well, if I wasn't an estate planning attorney, I wouldn't know how to answer that. It would ask me very specific questions. Do I want to give my child a limited power of appointment? Well, if I'm not an attorney, I don't know what that means and I have to answer the question yes or no. And so I don't, as a, as a, as a someone who's not an attorney, you, it's almost impossible to answer some of those questions that they're asking you. So those really are not good solutions and end up causing, honestly, causing more problems than just spending a little bit of money and getting a good plan developed by an estate, estate planning attorney. That, that makes sense. Well, thanks, Jason, as uh, we continue this uh, discussion on estate planning, and uh, we, will, we will talk more, but I uh, appreciate your time today. I look forward to future podcasts. Thanks, Casey.